Good morning. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for the Sunday that we can have like a little bit of a lighter beginning. Um, it just feels like so many things, uh, even just as Jason was talking about one of the top three books, I just wanted to get up here and say, have you read more than three books, right? Like, um, but things just are so heavy, and I would have said that joke way better if it wasn't just things were so, not so heavy. But our hearts are just heavy, and, and it feels like every week something is, is happening that just draws us back um, to either leaning into God or away from Him. And I think the book of Habakkuk is just speaking such truth in to our lives as we have this ongoing pandemic that we're dealing with, uh, Haiti, Afghanistan, Louisiana, tragedy. Uh, this week, Winston-Salem, tragedy. And, and it reminds us, it gives us an example of everything that we've needed to be applying as we walk through the book of Habakkuk and just how timely it is as it, it really speaks to these things as we look at, like, what do we do with evil in the world and, and not being able to understand it? How do we, how do we respond to that? And, and, and what do we do when, when God allows some waiting period? And how do we do that patiently? And how do we do that actively? And so Habakkuk has been showing us what we do with evil in a world that we don't understand and why it's there. We don't, we don't understand it at all. And how do we wait and how do we do so patiently and how do we do so actively and how do we wait on the right things and how do we seek the right truths? And so Habakkuk has been laying all of this out for us as, as we get to see his journal and God is speaking to him. But this week we have been reminded and, and certainly I have been reminded as I sat there Wednesday afternoon just praying and thinking through all of these things and unsure of what was even happening in the moment and, and all of this stuff that's been happening all over the world and, and, and then hitting close to home and it, and it didn't, didn't have a deeper impact than what's happening all over the world, but I feel like it's just compounded in my heart what's happening all over the world. And, and we're just constantly reminded of brokenness and of sin and of deep pain and, and this reminder that we were created in the image of God, and in so being, we desire love and beauty and goodness and justice and purity. We long for those things. We want those things. We were created to find ourselves in his kingdom and to be at home with him, and, and yet we find ourselves in this broken culture that doesn't represent the kingdom of God. And we're reminded of pain and suffering that sin brings and, and how it brings about this unnatural feeling of just, why is this the way that it is? And it causes mourning in our hearts, a longing for something new. And, and I was also reminded in almost instantaneously in that moment as we were watching the news and seeing what was going on at Mount Tabor High School and praying, we were simultaneously reminded that God is good and that he is faithful to his promises. And, and I just, I, I sat back as, as just a few hours later, right after getting all the news of everything that was going on, and, and suddenly people just started posting pictures of this beautiful rainbow over Mount Tabor High School. And I was reminded of the promise of God all the way back in Genesis, 9, in Genesis chapter 9, when, when the flood comes and God makes a covenant with his people that he will come, that sin will not rule, that, that the enemy will not reign, that brokenness will not remain. That he will come and he gives us this beautiful sign of a rainbow that he is coming again and justice will come and goodness will prevail. And, and so this week we're reminded of, of the mourning and the tragedy and the suffering and the pain. But we're also reminded of the redemption and the salvation and the goodness and the grace and the returning of all things to be right. And, and I just sat there and, and thinking about this text and thinking about what God is doing, and, and I was just so grateful that sin doesn't get the last word. Amen. That God is still reigning and ruling. He's still moving even when we cannot see it. Even when it feels like sin and brokenness are winning, when it feels like evil is all around us. And, and so this morning as we get into Habakkuk chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 6. I just want to remind us of something as a church uh, as we get into this, that, that we as a, as a church and certainly as individuals, uh, as a family, we, we desire always to be upwardly devoted, like our devotion is to God. 
Uh, we're all in for him. We, we desire to know him. We long for him. We understand that sin and the rebellion has caused us to walk away from him, that we're separated from who we are created to be and the identity that we are created to have and the kingdom that we are created to belong to. But that Jesus, God, came and lived in the way that we could not. Though we rebelled, he remained perfect. He died to pay the penalty of our sin, and he rose so that we could have new life in him. By his grace, we can be saved and brought back into community, understanding our true identity, believing and knowing the kingdom that is to come and the kingdom that we can reveal now in the midst of suffering and pain. And so we're upwardly devoted in everything. I just want to remind us this morning that the one thing that we need to do, the one thing that is missing, if there's anything missing in our life, it is, it is not more things, but it's more of God. It's to be devoted to him. It's to, it's to look to him. It's to seek him. So we're upwardly devoted in everything, and, and that allows us to be externally focused. Because we have satisfaction in God. We are who we are created to be in him. We know where we belong in him. We know what to do in him. And so we don't have to be selfish. We don't have to look for personal gain. We don't have to need. We can be satisfied. We can be whole in him. We can be growing in that understanding. And so when we are upwardly devoted, we can be externally focused. And that means that this week we don't just ignore what is happening in our city. We don't run from the good God who has answers that we need to lean into because he is all that we need and all that we need to reveal in the midst of all of the pain and suffering. But we can be a people who are satisfied in him, externally focused on the world around us, and we can be a people who pray. We can be a people who serve in every way that we possibly can. We can pray for the Miller family this week. We can pray for the family of the shooter this week. We can pray for the families in the school. We can pray for our city knowing the one thing that they need. And everything that is happening, I hope you have had moments this week in the midst of everything that is going on that have reminded you of why you exist. There is a beauty in all of the suffering and pain, and it's that we can see and be reminded the reality of all that we need. And that all that we need is not in our circumstances, it's not in what we might get from God or from the world, but it's about a transformation of the heart to understand that we need nothing of the world to have everything we were created for. And so I hope this week we've had some understanding and some, some awareness, some reminder of why we live, we move, and we breathe. It's all for the glory of God. And so certainly as a church family, we desire both individually and as a church our goal every single week is to mobilize and to send out, to disciple, and then us to go out and make disciples. There was a promise that, that I made to God when we planted Redemption Hill Church, and it was, God, everything you give us, we will hold with open hands, and every person you send, we will send out. And so I don't know what plans God has for us, but I do know what we will do with whatever he brings. We will be upwardly devoted. We will be outwardly focused. We will see disciples who make disciples in our city. We will see multiplication of gospel-transformed lives. And we desire for every man, woman, and child to hear and have an opportunity to respond to the gospel truth. I often have said that we want to make it very hard for you to leave your house in Winston-Salem and not have a meaningful gospel interaction. And church, we have an opportunity in the midst of everything that is happening around us to reveal there's something greater than circumstances. There's something greater that we live for. There's a greater purpose. And, and that Jesus is the only one that can change hearts and communities and lives. If there's one thing that I've, that I've taken away from everything that we talked about last week going on in Afghanistan is that no, no government and no amount of money that's thrown at something can transform a nation. Only Jesus can transform people's hearts and transform communities. And, and so with that goal, I just want to remind us of this and all of the, that's going on. We have desired to see our city come to know Jesus. We desire for every man, woman, and child. And so there's a couple of things that come out of that. We desire to collaborate with other churches. Because we know that there's no way on earth that we could grow as big as we, as God would ever allow us to grow as Redemption Hill Church. And we will not reach every man, woman, and child. I know that this is a church for everybody, but this is not a church for everybody, if you know what I mean. 
And so we love you, we want you, but I get it. There's going to be other places maybe you fit in. Maybe you don't want a pastor with a mohawk and, and tattoos. <laughs> but we want to collaborate with the church of our city because we have a longing for everyone. And here's the truth that I know. If everybody woke up this morning in our city and wanted to go to church and hear the gospel, two things would be true in that statement. One, they would not all be able to fit into a church building. And two, not every church that they go to would preach the gospel. And so we want to collaborate with other churches to see a gospel presence, a gospel saturation in our city. We want to pray for other churches. That's why we do that every single week when we close our service. We want to multiply out new churches. That's why we have three residences uh, in our residency that are going to be planting out in the next 12 to 18 months. We want to help existing churches. We, we desire to see God move. We want to send you out every single week where you live, work, and play in the natural rhythms of your life for the greatest purpose that you can live for because we don't desire for any of us to waste our lives. We want to be all in for Christ and see what God might do in us. And so every single week, we invite you on that journey. And this week, we have a massive opportunity where we live and where we work and where we play to reveal the truth of Jesus. People are hurting. People are searching. I feel like I'm giving this challenge every week, but I believe that, that I need to stand here and give us this challenge to go on this journey because God has allowed us to be in this place for this time with these things happening with his good news. And there's purpose for that. And so we invite you to join us on that journey. And listen to me, I am so thankful that so many of you respond to it every single week. Last week, I, I stood up here and we just felt led as an elder team to give everything that was given that day, whether online, in cash, through check, um, that it would be given to the church of Afghanistan, that we would split it right down the middle and 50% would go to the church in Afghanistan and 50% would go to World Relief here in the Triad area because 10 families from Afghanistan are being relocated here. And last week, without any notice, without anything at all, you gave over $20,000. And I thank you guys for that. And what that means is we will get to support one family fully that's coming in through World Relief, and we'll be able to work with them as, we can, as they continue to, their transition, and that we will, we will help the church in Afghanistan on the ground right now. And so, and so I'm thankful for you, and I'm thankful for you responding in the gospel truth. We are to be upwardly devoted in everything that we do. And, and listen, there is a huge, missionally-minded, gospel-centered, disciple-making church in our city, and God has called us to go out and find it, to share the gospel, to share the truth, that many would come to know him and that his church would be built and and today, that requires more of us. It requires for us to be all in for what God has called us to. And in this moment, it requires that at very least, we, we pray for everything that's going on in our city and in our world. And so I want to pray as we jump into our text. God, thank you so much for your truth, God. And, and thank you that all of your word applies to us today. A book written 2,600 years ago. And it could have been written yesterday. And so, God, I'm thankful for how you work, and I'm thankful for how you move, and, and I'm thankful for your truth, and I know that we desperately need it this morning. And so, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would remind us of who you are, that you are working, that we can trust you, that our faith would be strengthened in you. God, for all who do not know you, not just in this place, but all around this city, this nation, this world, I pray that today the gospel would be proclaimed and that they would respond in faith. God, help us to be a people who see the mission that you have called us to and, to, and that way more mission and way more work would happen Monday through Saturday than on Sundays. And so, Lord, we give this time to, we ask that it would glorify and honor you. I pray that you would give us the perspective that you would desire to, us to have on pain and suffering and everything that is happening in our world, that we might be a witness to your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we've been walking through the book of Habakkuk, um, it is, it's hopefully helped us. I hope that what we've talked about over the last several weeks has helped you kind of wrestle with some of the things that are happening in our world um, as Habakkuk, and we get to see kind of in his journal him look at the world and, and become very frustrated because he sees the brokenness and the, 
he sees the pain and he sees the suffering and, and he, it causes him to ask a couple of questions to God. And, and we, I love the fact that he actually goes to God. He, he seeks out the answers from God. And, and we, we've talked about each and every week that all of us, I know, will have questions for God. All of us will seek answers from God and we'll have a tendency to doubt and that doubt to either cause us to lean in and to find answers or to lean away from everything that we're seeking. But the wise man, the wise woman takes their questions of God to God and God answers them. And so Habakkuk goes to God and he does have a couple of questions. One question that he's asking is, God, in the midst of all this pain and suffering and everything that I see, how long will this take place? How long are you going to be idle? Like, I know that you're good. I know that you're great. I know your plans for your people. I know that salvation is coming. Like, how long are you going to let this go on? It seems contrary to your character. And then he asked the question, why? Why is any of this even happening at all? And so Habakkuk looks at the world around him and he asks these questions to God. And, and we've challenged one another that we take these questions in our hearts to God as well. That the God of comfort will, will find us in our hurting, that, that there will be peace when we go to him, that we will see the hope that we can only find in him, that he will reveal to us that he is a good God with a good plan. And so Habakkuk prays to God. He does it in a godly way. He doesn't just ignore everything that's happening. I know that's such a tendency for us because it's just there's so much bad news. So why pay attention to any of it? Why even know what is happening? Just let me live my own life. Let me drown myself in everything else that I can to get away from all of the things that are out there that I don't want to know and I don't want to deal with. And so often in the church, that's the way that we respond. Or to run away from God, the only answers that we can actually have. I love that Habakkuk doesn't do either one of those. He takes everything that he thinks intellectually that he sees and all of his emotional feelings of what he's experiencing and he lays them bare before God. And God answers him. And just as God gave us a sign this week to remind us of our mission and who he is and his goodness and what he is doing that sinful hearts will always lead to sinful actions, but God is working. And even when we don't understand everything, we can understand that he's good and he's working and, and his plan will come to fruition. He isn't causing sin, but he's using all things to bring about his ultimate plan. And he reminds Habakkuk, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get everything that I'm doing. Because listen, I'm looking at it on the scale of eternity and you're looking in this little moment. It's like if we were to watch a whole movie and God sees the whole thing plus the credits and, and we're just watching this one little millisecond of the story and then we try to argue with God of the theme of the movie and what's going to happen and how it should all come to a conclusion and what should be happening in this moment for that conclusion to come. And God is going, look, I, I get it. You're, you're not going to understand my answer, Habakkuk, though I'm going to meet you where you are because I'm seeing everything in light of eternity and you're seeing everything in this moment with these circumstances, with your perception and your understanding, and you think you know what is best for most comfort in this moment, in this thing, and in this way, but I'm seeing it all. And so he, he answers Habakkuk, but Habakkuk doesn't get it. And so he says, hey, the Babylonians are going to come in. I'm going to allow you to go into captivity. They're going to be your landlords for a few years here. And, and it's going to cause my plan to begin to, to occur the, of what I have called you to. And we got to see the whole story through scripture of that, of how God uses it to call his people back to him into repentance and for the Messiah to set up for the Messiah to come, for many to be saved all the way down to us today. But Habakkuk doesn't see that, and so God answers him, okay, I'm answering you, I'm not idle, the Babylonians are coming, you're going into exile, and he goes, I don't like that. I don't get it, I don't understand how that's going to help anything. How in the world can you use the Babylonians who are worse than us to bring us into repentance? And so Habakkuk asks God why, and God answers him, but you're not going to understand, you have to have faith, the righteous will live by faith, you trust in me of everything that you know of me and everything that I have done and everything that I will do. But then Habakkuk goes, well, I don't like your answer because I don't see how in the world that's ever going to bring any good. And, and this is something that we often struggle with. And we've talked about when we see pain in the world, it is very, very difficult for us through our perspective and our understanding to see it as being something that could be good for us at all. 
It happens all of the time. We see it in all of our life. Every time that I take my kids to the doctor, they, they act like it's the end of their lives. Me as a father, I can see a little bit bigger of the picture, so I know that whatever they have to go through at the doctor is good for them. It's, it's, it's for their greater health, but in that moment, with their understanding, with the circumstances that they are in, they believe that the only answer is to kick, scream, cry, run. And see, we're that way as people in, in the plan and the eternity of God. We, we see pain and we think, how in the world could this ever be good? And, and, and I've come to this reality and these, this, this gripping thing in my heart this week of just trying to wrestle with everything that's going on in the world and, and finally thinking to myself, how cruel would it be of God and how much more cruel would it be of God if he gave me everything that I wanted if he answered every prayer, gave me every desire and every longing, but I worshiped it instead of him, so I didn't get him. Would that not be more cruel of him than him taking every desire, every longing that I worship above him away so that I can understand my need for him? And see, these are deep realities that we can come to in the gospel truth that they don't take away the pain or the suffering or the mourning, but they give us a, a truer perspective. They give us a greater understanding even of the things that we don't understand. And so in Habakkuk's second conversation with God, he says, God, I hear you, but I don't think it's fair. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do good things happen to bad people? And so he waits on the watchtower in the beginning of chapter 2 for God to speak to him. But he's waiting, and we saw actively and patiently, because he knows what God, who God is and what he's going to do. And we see this shift in Habakkuk that, that I hope all of us begin to take as we lean into God in prayer and go to him in Scripture and in deep community when we face this understanding of what do I do in an evil world that I don't understand? How do I wait patiently and actively on the Lord? The progression of that is that we seek God in all of it in deep gospel-centered community, and we just lean into him more and more for a deeper understanding of even the things that we don't understand. And then we begin to wait patiently on the Lord as we see here actively as Habakkuk does. And, and what we begin to see is as he does that, he's not any longer going to God and saying, hey, God, where's the blessing? But he stands on the watchtower and waits on the Lord. He's no longer looking for the hand of God. He's looking for the heart of God. God, I don't understand, but, but I, I know that I need you. And so I'm waiting actively, patiently on you. And we see this progression in Habakkuk's life that is so good for us to follow. And God reveals, he says, Habakkuk, in the end, there will be justice. And there will be discipline for my people to call them back to me. I will do what's best for them like a loving father. And so it, it may not seem what's best for them in the moment for their comfort, but it's what's best for them in, in, in eternity and for my glory and for their joy and justice will come to the Babylonians because all injustice will be met with justice. And listen, that is good news, but it's also a challenge to us. It means that every wicked government, every wicked nation, every wicked one, everything that is unjust, every oppression, it will be made right. But we see here in this text a challenge for us as God talks about the Babylonians and the justice that will come to them. And so we've seen how to face evil in, in a world that we don't understand, how to turn to God in patience and wait, and it produces this faith and trust in the one thing that will not fail us. How it brings hope to us and to those around us. How it's proven through pain and suffering to sustain life and strength. It's a joy and a goodness that's not predicated on circumstances or health or relationships or success, position, kids, but Christ and his work for us and his grace upon us to have joy in every situation, even in the morning that he gives rest in the midst of unrest, that he gives truth in the midst of lies, that he brings restoration in the midst of chaos. And church family, Winston-Salem, as we struggle together as a family in our city, joy in the midst of mourning. And, and so if you've missed those, those couple of weeks, I would encourage you to, to look back because listen to me, this story, this book is something we desperately need in our lives. You need nothing more than to hear from God. 
You need nothing more than to seek him out. Everything you're longing for, everything you are missing is found in him and him alone. And so we need his word. We need his truth. And when we face something hard and we go through something difficult, what we need is not to look inward or to look outward, but to seek upward. To go to God and and seek his understanding. To go to him and find joy and satisfaction in him alone. And he will meet us where we are. And so I love this book because it gives us this deep truth that we so desperately need. And none of us need anything in our lives more than God's word. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, by placing our faith in him, we're we're able to see his truth. And this book, listen to me, it is how we keep our eyes on the king. And it's how we keep our feet moving towards the kingdom that we belong to. And we trust that the king is working and that he is doing and working all things to the good of those who love him according to his plan. And so in the midst of everything, God says, hey, look, when we see all of these things and we're doing all of these things that I'm calling you to, there are two ways that you can respond to everything that's happening in the world. He says you can either in pride turn to yourself or you can turn to me. And he says, when you turn to yourself, you become puffed up. You, you, you give off this appeal or appearance of, of, of understanding, of wisdom, but ultimately you're just kind of full of air. There's no truth and power there. You believe you have it all figured out, but we're only fooling ourselves. We're just puffed up. And listen, this is why this this emptiness in us, this arrogance in us, this pride in us of I can do it, I've got it all figured out, I can make my own way. It's why we do, and investigate your own heart, it's why we do everything that we do outside of finding our identity in Christ out of an insecurity. I need this because I don't have it. I'm insecure about that, and so I need to pursue it. And so we put on this appearance of having it all figured out because we know that we have need. And whenever we have need, when we're not completely satisfied in Christ alone who can satisfy us, then that need will manifest itself in pride. And it leads us to deep insecurities and doing everything that we do out of an insecurity. And it can be done religiously or irreligiously. God says in verse 5 that we'll become puffed up and arrogant, drunk on ourselves. So it gives this picture of we think we have it all figured out. We think that we have understanding. We think that we know. We think that we can save ourselves. But we're we're really just kind of walking, stumbling around on our own puffed up arrogance. We're not actually able to walk the path that we were called. We're drunk on ourselves. We think we've got it figured out, but we can't walk straight. We can't do anything that we were called or created to do. So we're arrogant, we're full of greed, just constantly pursuing, gathering everything he says in verse 5 that we can for our gain. Uh, We try to figure out everything that we can only get by the grace of God. Listen, Lewis Smead, a writer, a theologian, he says this, Pride is at the heart of every culture and at the heart of every life. Pride is the fantasy that we can be all that we need to be and that we can be the creator, that we have the power. And so, listen, we walk with swagger. We seek to convince ourselves and others that we have what it takes. And this is why we use people and not love them. We need people. This breeds this very thought of, I'll love these people because they make me feel good, and I won't love these people because they make me feel bad. Pride is the source of all evil in the world, but we are made for more. Listen, we have this evil in the world. We have these things that we struggle with, and pride is is the foundation of all of it because it doesn't allow us to be satisfied and whole. We have need, and so we use, and we take, and we abuse, and we oppress, but we were made for more. Our dignity and value are from being made in the image of God and from his love. And this is how we have little or much, and we're still content and satisfied We can still reveal in our lives what is actually satisfying in everything that we do. Listen to me, but pride and arrogance, being puffed up, turning from God, seeking an irreligion or religion, whatever it is, God boils it all down to you're seeking life in yourself or you're seeking life in him, but pride will never be satisfied. Never. You will always want more. 
The only way that pride is satisfied is if you attain being God and you will not. There will always be something else that you need. But satisfaction is never, has never meant to be something that we seek with our hands or we gain in the world. But what we know of Jesus and what he does in transforming our hearts. So God says you'll either trust yourself or you will trust him. And through the work of his salvation, you'll be made new and you'll be restored. That'll allow you to walk humbly, to to know that you have everything that you need from him. And so you can begin to actually love and look outward because you're upwardly devoted. You can begin to bring healing into broken situations. You can reveal a hope that has come to the world through Jesus Christ. And you can begin to bring redemption into the broken and sinful world. And God has told Habakkuk, even now... I'm allowing this to happen to the Israelite people so that they will turn back to me. Evil will not win and justice will come to all who reject me. Everyone who walks in pride, all evil will receive justice. This is his answer to Habakkuk. And so this is a really hard word. I wish it didn't land on this week. But there's a few things that I need us to see. And, and, and I wanted just that my plan was this morning just to jump right into the five woes. Like, let's just have an encouraging message. The five woes that God gives to Habakkuk and the people of Babylon and to us. But I feel like we, we desperately needed in this time in our lives in this city to be reminded of who God is and what he has called us to be in him. But we get into these five woes, these, these things that... that will come against the Babylonians, these warnings to us. He says, if these five things define us, this is what justice will look like. God is coming. He is returning. The Babylonians will pay. He's telling Habakkuk, no evil will go without justice. Habakkuk, my people will have consequences. But the people who turn away from me, justice will come to them as well. Pride before the fall. So we see here God describe what pride looks like in a people, and he gets all the way from pride to idolatry, and that's where we're going to spend a couple of minutes looking at in these five woes. We'll go through them really quickly and look at idolatry for a minute, and then in chapter 3, Habakkuk's like, okay, I don't really understand all of this, but I know that I'm just supposed to be worshiping you. He brings out the guitar, he sings a worship song, and that's what we'll do together as we have deeper understanding in who God is. But look in chapter 2. Starting in verse 6, we'll go through these very quickly, these five woes. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, first woe, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So he's describing the Babylonian people. Woe to them, woe number two, who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm, who has devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him, woe three, who builds a town with blood and found on cities of iniquity. Behold, it is not for the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor merely for fire. The nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Fourth woe, for uh, woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk. In order to gaze upon their nakedness, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord, the the justice, the wrath of the Lord in the right hand will come uh, around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as with the destruction of the beasts and the terrified them. For the blood of man and violence on the earth to the cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when his maker has shaped it? A metal image, a a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says a wooden thing awake to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. 
but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Pride to idolatry. This is what it begins to look like as God gives us this warning. Are you living for me? Are you seeking me? Are you leaning into me and everything for understanding? Are you waiting patiently on the Lord, trusting in his promises? Or are you turning into yourself? And then he gives the Babylonians five woes of justice and how it will come. And we need to look at these as individuals. We need to look at these as the church. That's the correlation there. We're not talking about Babylon to America. I want to get that straight. We're talking about Babylon to the people of God. Look out for these things. Woe number one, woe to those who use what they have for their glory and not for God's glory. That sums up all of those verses of of everything maybe that's confusing happening there. Woe to those who use what they have for their glory and not for God's glory. And we see how the Babylonians use their riches, their, their time, their talents, their treasures. And the question is, are resources the pursuit to build your kingdom or are they the tool that you have to reveal the kingdom of God? Are your resources in your life the things that you need to build the kingdom you need or are the resources you have in your life the tool that you have, the blessing from God to reveal the kingdom of God. This allows us to look at everything differently, whether we have much or we have little, because when we have little, it is the tool that we have to reveal God's goodness and that he is enough. When we have much, it's the tool that we have to reveal God's goodness and that he provides. It all comes down to where am I finding my life? Where and what am I worshiping? Am I using my resources for the glory of God or am I using my resources for my own glory? And listen to me, nation after nation, people after people have pursued power and wealth at the expense of others because they have had a need to build their own kingdom with the things that they have gained. This is what the Babylonians do. It's the heart of the issue of all that they are and the kingdoms that they've built. But all of us have gained, God says. All that we have gained, he says, and the Babylonians have gained. Look at what he says. It's only alone. I love the imagery here. All of that is only alone. Your debtors, those that you owe, like you don't own anything. You have just borrowed everything that you have gotten. None of it can actually give you anything that you believe that it will. All of the kingdoms will fall. They're all built on sand because only built on Christ is the rock that we are meant for the foundation of life to be founded on. So he says, you're just debtors. You don't own anything. And you're building this whole kingdom up that you don't even own. It's a smokescreen. It's a mirage. It doesn't give you the power you want, the kingdom that you want. There's one kingdom that you are designed for. Now listen, is it wrong for us to have a lot of things? Absolutely not. Is it wrong for nations to have power? No. In the Bible, there are godly rich and there are ungodly rich. There are godly poor and there are ungodly poor. The question is not how much do we have? The question is how do we use what we have? What place does it take in our hearts? Is is it for money and power for you? Or is it to reveal the glory of God? How do we use it? Do we oppress or do we set free? Do we take advantage or do we seek equality because we're made in the image of God? Do we cheat and steal and lie for power and wealth? Do we we hold our position over another to gain higher position? Or do we use our position and platform to help others in need? It's a hard issue. Are we generous in the gospel? Are we stingy in pride? And and the question that we begin to ask here is, is, do I really worship God? Is he really Lord? Is my faith really in him? Is my life really in him? And God says, look at the way that the Babylonians use their things. It reveals their pride. And the question for us is, how are we using what God has given us? The second woe, I need to go through these quicker. 
It says, woe to those who use what you have to separate yourselves from the world. You're building the ivory tower. You have arrived. You have accomplished. You have everything that you need. And now you should only hang out with those that are like you. You should protect yourself from people who are not like you. Protect yourself from people who might want to use you or to take from you what you have gained. You need to fortify yourself. You need to separate yourself. I'm better than those around me because I have done more than they have. I have accomplished more. I have built the ivory tower. But woe to those who look at creation and what they have gained as the comforts of life that separate themselves from those who have not arrived as they have arrived. In the end, the material that they build, their kingdom, I love this, the rocks, the stones, the walls, they will cry out against them. Because all of creation is for God and for his glory. And in the end, justice will come. And everything that God has created will worship the proper creator. And even the things that you have used to prop yourself up will call you out. Are we living in pride? Or are we living for the glory of God? The people of God use all that they have for the mission of God. We seek his kingdom and not to build our own We hold everything that we have with open hands, for Christ is the cornerstone of all that we are and all that we will ever be. Are we living a life worth building upon? Are we pointing to the the true God and King that all glory is owed to? Verse 12, woe number three. Is it possible today, let me ask this question, for us to build an entire economy or to build a personal portfolio on sinful things? Let me suggest... Yes. It's exploitation of people for gain. It's a city or a person who doesn't really care about the good of the people, but care about the good of their pockets. And will allow whatever we need to to happen for us to have more or a deeper or a better economy, to have more money, to have more of the material that we need to build the high towers, to separate ourselves from all of those around. Today, this was true in Habakkuk's time. He had certain things that were taking place in the Babylonians for us today. We have pornography, strip clubs, certain drugs. Social media can even be used in this way. The way that we market even unhealthy foods for us, that we don't market unhealthy foods in the same way all the time because it makes us money. It it produces for us what we really need. We're not really worried about the people. We're worried about what we gain. And on and on we could go. We can even do this with personal relationships. In pride, we use others to get what we want, and we think that we can get out of them, and that's exploiting them. Woe to the people who do not honor God in their activity, but allow or turn a blind eye to any activity in the world that causes or gives them gain. This is living in a world that separates or celebrates things that we should mourn. This is not beginning to describe the world that we live in. Let's celebrate things we should mourn. Let's, let's celebrate the uh, perceived human flourishing and whatever that may mean. Let's join in with that. Let's not care about that. Let's not speak truth and love into that. But listen to me, freedom to do whatever you want always leads to a place of oppression, hate, using, and abusing. L- look at the movements of our world today. Every single one of them at the foundation are bitterness, anger, hate, disgust. We're made in the image of God. We see everything that's not going the way that we want. We know that we're created for the kingdom of God, but we don't understand what God has done and what Jesus has done on the cross and the resurrection. And so out of all of the frustration, we just do everything that we do out of anger. And so we just are bitter and we're just arrogant and we just cancel and we just push. This is the way that we live in the world. But we need to be a people in Christ who want the freedom to do what is right. That's what true freedom is. And if true freedom is not the freedom to do what God has called us to do and to do what is right, then your freedom will come with chains that you will not see and you will not want. And you will spend your whole life trying to break them, but only by turning to Christ will they be broken. Woe number four, verses 15 through 17. He says, woe to those who shame others. Their shame will come upon them. 
and who use God's creation for their glory. He talks about the, the, the Lebanon forest, this beautiful forest that they were abusing and, and using more than they should have. They're abusing God's creation. It says the cup of God's wrath will be upon them if faith has not put, been put in Jesus and he has not taken that cup for them on the cross. Jesus fulfills this in Matthew chapter 26 when he takes the cup and he drinks of our sin and he dies on the cross for our sin and all those who place their faith in him. God has taken your sin upon himself and given you his righteousness. But for all of those who do not place their faith in him, they will have to drink their own cup. He says, woe to us. And finally, woe to those. This is a big one. Woe to the idolater. Pride leads ultimately to idolatry. This sums up the entire section. This passage begins with pride, as I said, and it ends with pride revealed, idolatry. A.W. Tozer said, idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. But then listen to this, because this is what gets most of us Christians. Idolatry is worshiping anything other than God or worshiping God for less than he declares himself to be. See, this is a, a struggle for us because so often, even in the church, and there's a big movement today to reduce God down to an acceptable version of what we can accept and what we can follow. We become God's editors and not his followers, but worshiping God is saying to God, I believe all that you have declared yourself to be. I, declare, I believe that all that you have declared is to be true. I believe that I find my identity not in what I feel, but what you say of me. That every word is true and every word is worthy of worship and to be followed. You are Lord. You are God. And you have the right to define what is good and what is evil. You have the right to rule and reign over all things. You have the right to, this is a hard one, to tell me no. Because listen to me, if you have a God that cannot disagree with you, then all you are doing is worshiping yourself. It's puffed up pride. And so he says, woe to the idolater. You're, you're just full of pride. But see, God even has the right to tell us or to allow or to cause everything that happens or occurs. Here's the question that I want to ask us this morning. What are we worshiping? Every single one of us is worshiping something. Every single one of us has a set of rules that we follow, that we have an expectation for others to follow. Philosopher David, uh, Dr. Peter Kraft said this, the opposite of belief in God is not atheism, it's idolatry. Ernest Becker, who wasn't a believer, but won the Pulitzer Prize for his book, The Denial of Death, he said, if you don't have a God, then you will have a tendency to take something in life and make it a God. We all worship See, we all have something that gets our passion and, and our treasure and our schedules that, that we go to. And if we are to look at our schedules and our bank accounts and what we talk about the most and what gets the most passion in our life, then there we will find our gods. There we will find if, if we are full of arrogance and pride and puffed up or if we are following humbly the Lord who has done all that is required for salvation by his grace. And we need to know that the difference between freedom and enslavement is misplaced worship in our lives. What are we worshiping? Think about it. What is God to you? What has your heart? What about the church? Does, does, does God have the heart of his church? Does, does he have our hearts and the hearts of his people? God says, here's the problem, Habakkuk. Everyone is worshiping, but nobody's worshiping me. They're worshiping shadows of me. I'm the substance of all things that they're looking for. And when you worship me, the church should look different. The city should look different. The crime rate should look different. The way we spend our money should look different. The way we are divided, it shouldn't be. The love that we don't see shouldn't be that way. But listen to me, nothing will be like you want it to be or long for it to be as long as you are worshiping it to be what it cannot. We are not made to worship anything but God. And if we do, it will crush us or we will crush it. It's not made to be worshipped. It's made to reveal the one who is worthy of worship. So idolatry, listen to me, it will destroy you. 
If you worship money, then you will never have enough. If you worship beauty, you will always feel ugly. If you worship power, you will always feel fear and be afraid. If you worship your intellect, then you will never feel smart enough and you will always be on the verge of feeling that you will be found out. Because pride never satisfies. If you worship your family, then you will absolutely crush them and they will disappoint you. See, idolatry will eat us alive. Whatever we worship controls us. But God sets us free to actually use the things that he has created for their proper purpose so we can actually begin to really love them but not, not need them, not be controlled by them, not be enslaved to them. So God is revealing here to Habakkuk that we do not in him have to be enslaved to our circumstances. It's all about God. It all begins with God. This is what he says to us in verse 20. So Habakkuk was going, hey, God, where's the blessing? And God is saying, hey, get close to me. That's the blessing. We think we want stuff. And what we really need is God. What we really need is to image him. What we really need is to understand his kingdom. And God says, justice will come. You will either place your faith in me or you will pay for your own sin. But all unrighteousness will be paid for. Why is he delaying? Look, at, look back at verse 14. Let's close with this. Justice will come, but this is, this is what points to his patience. He wants the truth to go everywhere. Every man, woman, and child through his people. And for the believer, he says to back at the Israelites, they will be disciplined to be called back to me. But all unrighteousness will be paid for. Justice will come. I want to challenge us this morning to understand that when we look at the things of the world, we need to go to God. He will meet us where we are. We can trust him in all things. We can have a faith in him that is sure. And he will meet us where we are and he will give us the understanding that we need to go through the things and glorify him even when we don't understand why all things are happening. Listen, he is a good, good God. And it may be hard and we may not understand, but it all begins with him. It starts with placing our faith in him and salvation. It continues in obedience of him and being on his mission. It's strengthened by being in community and gathering together with the people of God. And we lean into him and seek him through prayer and study of his word. Let's be a people who don't worship anything but our Savior.